the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Got a great show today. We'll talk with Don Critchlow. Don Critchlow, he's an old friend of mine. Uh, long ago now, years ago, he was working in St. Louis. He was at St. Louis University as a, I think he's a historian, poli-sci professor, great guy, wrote a book on Phyllis Schlafly, my old boss, and he's got a new book out, and we'll talk to him about that. It's called, uh, I think it's, oh, I'll get the, the name right uh, in a second, but he is, um, it's, yeah, it's Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. He's written it in a certain way to appeal to the youth, because he teaches the youth, at, and now at Arizona State. We'll also talk with John Binder, of Breitbart.com. He's got a piece a day or two ago about uh, immigration. We'll talk about how immigration is seemingly off the lips of Republicans, a lot of them, and certainly Democrats. They don't seem to want to talk about it when it, I think, is the most important issue facing the country, as I've told you. In many, many ways, it is the issue that's transforming the country. But before we get to any of that, we need to talk about beagles. Yes, we need to talk about beagles. Now, first of all, I want to tell you that last night I had a dream and this is serious. Noah and our producer Noah is listening and he's going to start laughing. But I had a dream last night and I'm totally serious. And I'm sure this was influenced by the story of the beagles. There were beagles that were being, <clears throat> excuse me, used as um, uh, subjects of, of experimentation and funded by Dr. Fauci's organization, NIH or whoever it is. But last night my dream was that the Chinese, that communist Chinese had developed a virus that was aimed at our dogs and was killing the dogs across America. And I'm not joking, in my dream, this mobilized the American people against the Chinese like nothing had. I'll now, say think about two that. things <laughs> really quickly. We don't have a lot of time. One, right. I wouldn't put it past them. And two, you want to really get Americans all fired up? Yeah, going after their, after their dogs would be one way to do it. Well, that, 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 exactly. That's my point, is that in some ways, um, it's, in some ways it's pathetic, but in some ways, it's just descriptive. And that is to say, I never had a dog. Well, I had a dog growing up. I never had an attachment to a dog until now. With my family, we have two dogs. And I love those dogs. And, I, and I'm much more attached. Although, I don't think I'm uh, imbalanced. Some people are pretty close to imbalanced. That they love their dogs. And they're making life decisions about their dogs. Say, for having a family, getting married and all that. It gets a little distorted. But... I, it also is just emotional, pure emotion. And I have a theory about this, which I don't have time to extrapolate right now to explain completely to you, except to say that dogs, a good dog is everything that's good about the animal in our lives, you know, because dogs don't have the same consciousness and same intellect and all. So but a lot of us, animals, myself, <laughs> we consider them, I consider my little chihuahua a part of my family wholeheartedly. Right. Well, your dog may have more of a intelligence and consciousness than you, but there's a different story we'll talk about another day. <laughs> but anyway, so, but my point here is, in my dream, people were mobilized by the attacks on the dogs, and it was really devious, and it would be terrible, and it would be devastating for the country, because it would be so sad. But here's my real point. What, what kind of government do we have now that is funding 
all just gazillions of things. It, you know, we're, we've got we're funding the the uh, the the breeding of beagles to do experimentations on them. Okay, we're funding uh, you know um, uh, the Wuhan lab, whatever Fauci, however he wants to define it. He's saying it's not exactly gain of function the way the military means it. Whatever. We, we have so much money. We do so much spending. We, we, the people, don't know any of it. And the idea that this is happening, it just it should make you crazy. But here's my point, and I got to run because we're going to run out of time. My point is this. Fauci might have really, really just hurt himself. Because at this point, 45% of the country thinks he walks on water and 45% can't stand the guy. But now, of the 45% think he walked on water, a lot of those people are animal lovers. A lot of those people are the kind of PETA, you know, types and all. And so now you're going to have some conflicted people. And, and I trust don't think me, Fauci when they're going t- anywhere, this may change that. Exactly. I agree. That's my point. All right. We got to run, though. We got to, We got to, such a great show. I'm keeping it short here on the wink. Go to ProAmericaReport.com and sign up for the Daily Wink there and uh, follow all we're doing. And stay tuned. We'll be right back with some great interviews. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with my old friend, Don Critchlow. Uh, Dr. Donald T. Critchlow is the Katzen Family Professor at Arizona State University. He also taught at St. Louis University, uh, where he was uh, quite close and friendly and, in fact, uh, shared office space with the late Phyllis Schlafly, for whom I worked. He's written a number of books. We've had him on the show and t- talking about his last book, In Defense of Populism. Uh, that was That's an interesting one. Also, he's written four or five other books, including Phyllis Schlafly and Grassroots Conservatism, A Woman's Crusade. Uh, he's really uh, insightful on this, and he currently uh, heads the program uh, in political history and leadership at Arizona State University. Uh, welcome, Don Critchell. How are you, Don? Hey, good uh, speaking with you, Ed. Well, thank you for the chance, and I have to say your newest book, which is in my hand right now, is called Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny, and it's published by Regnery History, our old friends at Regnery. And uh, Don, I, I went through this book, I read it in, in spurts, and so I have some questions. Uh, first of all, how'd you pick the five, meaning... There's others you could have picked, I, I think. You know, you could have, or you, maybe you, you could have done 10, and maybe that would have been too long a book. But how'd you pick these five? We have Lenin, Mao, Castro, uh, Robert Mugabe of Zimbabwe, and Khomeini, uh, Khomeini um, the Ayatollah. How'd you pick those five? Yeah, before we uh, get to how I picked the uh, five monsters, and there were many to choose from, I want to <laughs> say that the, what inspired me to uh, write the book was uh, seeing a poll in which uh, 52% of young people thought socialism, communism was uh, good. And then I saw another poll that said uh, 20% of our young people want to uh, abolish private property and think the state uh, should hold it, uh, should own it. So that's what inspired me to write the book. But, so but, but, but Don, 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 let me interrupt you because you, you've yeah. spent your career, I mean, writing and, and lecturing, it's true, but teaching young people. Is the, is the college campus sophomore or junior so different than 25 years ago when you started? Is it, has, can you feel that shift when you're teaching? Yeah, I see the uh, shift in uh, two ways. 
Uh, one is uh, we see uh, the results of K-12 uh, through 12 education, in which uh, students are coming out uh, really quite uh, ignorant about uh, history. Uh, and I saw, I heard a student uh, last week say, and he was a history major and taking three history courses, that he had never heard that uh, Poland had been uh, a communist uh, country and he had never heard of the Berlin Wall. So I'm seeing a, a really kind of a lack of, uh, of knowledge here. And what I'm also mm. seeing is a shift in a more progressive uh, direction among many, uh, many students. So it's one of the reasons I wrote Revolutionary Monsters, and it's a different kind of book. Uh, it's short, yeah. about 200 uh, pages, and it was really written in such a way to uh, engage uh, younger uh, readers. So this isn't a, a kind of an academic book. It's uh, it's uh, right. written for the general public, uh, the uh, and it wasn't written for uh, academics. So anyway, we uh, how how did I choose the uh, five? Yeah. Well, yep. uh, yeah. The uh, I I chose I chose the five uh, representing different content uh, continents. So we have. Uh, London in Russia, Mao in China, Castro in Latin America, Caribbean, Mugabe in Africa, and uh, Khomeini in the Middle East. And what I wanted mm-hmm. to show is uh, a certain pattern to these uh, revolutionary monsters uh, to uh, mm-hmm. help uh, awaken the general public and especially our young today as we uh, seem to be uh, headed toward a so- uh, socialist uh, agenda in this country. We're talking with uh, Don Critchlow. Uh, Don Critchlow is the Katzen Family Professor at Arizona State University. His new book, his newest book, is called Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny uh, by uh, Regnery uh, Publishing. Uh, I think the, the actual imprint is uh, called Regnery History. They do these history books. I, I agree with you, by the way, on that, uh, Don. I've read your other books, and this one is more, it is kind of shorter chapters, kind of getting to the point. It's kind of, um, seems like a w- the way a lot of uh, history maybe is being written now, and, and I, I like it. I like it. It's, it fits fits the moment um but back for one second let me pause um the um when you talked about the five and so we went we went through my lenin mao castro mugabe and khomeini earlier in the book i'm trying to find the page i'm sorry but oh yeah you talk here it is you talk about revolutions and and they're by nature they're upheavals and you say um and there there's some that happen with minimal bloodshed uh now i think you mean there the kind of slaughter that you've seen these five when you go on to cover them. But Glorious Revolution in England in 1689, not so bad. American Revolution, 1776. Uh, and then you say Russian Czar in February 1917. They're not terrible bloodshed. But then, of course, what happened in uh, Russia, the Bolshevik, you know, what followed was the, well, Lenin and the horrendousness. Um, is that how, what, 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 what do you feel about the moment we're in? When you think to yourself yeah. about revolution and you see around the world, um, you know, the... Is is are we ripe for these kinds of monsters again, or are we sort of past it? I mean, how do yeah. you think? I mean, I know what you're teaching here, but are are we close to that anywhere? Yeah, I think. Look at we uh, uh, everywhere. Uh, there's monsters among us, and they can uh, and during times of uh, social upheaval, they can take uh, control of revolutions and create uh, regimes of tyranny. And that's exactly what all these monsters uh, did. They took advantage of. Uh, 
of uh, revolutionary of discord, social discord, and directed it toward uh, revolution. So the point I was making with the American Revolution, and I might add the uh, later Polish Revolution, which the student didn't know about in 1989, is that there's a difference between a political revolution that wants to change the political system to allow more represent, representative uh, government, and a social revolution that's seeking uh, social uh, equality and trying to create the uh, perfect man. So the, all of these mm-hmm. monsters, from Lenin to Khomeini, all sought uh, social revolutions and uh, in which you were going to uh, create perfect uh, societies. And so they, they have a sense of uh, human uh, perfection that, um, that uh, cannot be achieved actually on this uh on this earth so that's what the uh, book is about it's a direct message to the young people uh, about the difference uh, again, between political change and revolution uh we're talking again we're talking with don critchlow his book is revolutionary monsters uh from regnery history um the the um does the does the the presence of these men in this case in history does it? Do you find? I know you've been teaching this again. That when people hear that, they get it, or do they think, "Oh, that's in the past"? You know, there was Hitler too. He was a bad guy, as you say. One of the what was the what's the C.S. Lewis uh, line? I think it's C.S. Lewis that says, "You know, one of the greatest tricks the devil ever did was convincing people he didn't exist." People uh, yeah. seem to not think that there not think that there are monsters among us, or there could be. They just think that's just not there. I mean, do you find that? Yeah, uh, yeah, of course, because there's uh, uh, kind of a lack of uh, historical knowledge. Uh, right. You asked a question about the potential for uh, social uh, revolutions and monsters emerging. I think mm-hmm. that could occur yeah. in uh, many societies, but what we're witnessing today in America is uh, a quiet revolution that's coming from uh, above. So we have uh, corporations, inter- media, entertainment, uh, academia that's pushing uh, very, ra- very rapidly and a very radical uh, socialist uh, agenda. And uh, so it's coming from above. It's not coming from uh, from below. And if, uh, and if there's not uh, – and, and so what happens when regimes uh, – having uh, and betray their own uh, foundational principles, either they you get more social discord, which we're experiencing, or they just uh, end, end uh, uh, whimpering uh, away and quietly uh, collapse. So that we're experiencing a quiet revolution from above right now is how I would uh, see, the, see the current situation. Well- we're again, Don Critchlow, the book is Revolutionary Monsters, um, a regnery history. You know, all things are, are self-referential. And so as you're talking, I'm thinking about your, your book on Phyllis Schlafly and grassroots conservatism, A Woman's Crusade, came out in 2005, in which you describe what happened and you kind of your, your, your um, uh, analysis of what was happening in that period and organizationally. And, 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 and so, Don, what I want to ask you, and, you, you know, you, at Arizona State, you've got these programs, you're teaching leadership, you're teaching the kids. Um, the power of big tech and big media and big government to try to manage what the public, what is known as the truth, 
seems extraordinary to me beyond i mean i talk about it all the time on this show I, let's stick to the one the russia 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 hoax i mean just in the last 10 days the steel the steel the guy steel christopher steel is trotted out and he's not mocked for being uh you know a fool and a liar he's lionized for having said something profound and again i i don't know i don't know the truth of any of it except i know that what he i mean in terms of what allegations about this and the other thing but i know that nothing was proved in fact everything was not proved and yet the media and the and the government and everybody is is kind of convincing us i mean we 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 had a uh, we had an impeachment uh, after january 6th based on what is now laughable i mean again nobody's defending any kind of violence but it, it, we're watching the power of big media uh, big tech and big government and it's breathtaking isn't it yeah it's absolutely uh, breathtaking what they're trying to do with uh with Steele is uh, resurrecting and he gets on uh, television and says the uh, what we know is a Russian hoax, but he said there's more evidence still out there that's going to uh, come. I mean, it's shocking that, that, that he's uh, even even uh, going on TV without any sense of embarrassment. But this was yeah. an engineered, this was all engineered by the uh, Hillary Clinton campaign. We know that. Uh, we have facts. Uh, we know the details uh, of what happened. And then we have uh, Andy McCain, who was fired from the FBI for his involvement in, uh, in this. And he's going on television uh, as some kind of uh, hero, too. But even worse is that we see uh, our own Department of Justice uh, unleashing a politicized FBI to investigate uh, parents who are protesting against uh, neo-racist uh, indoctrination of their kids, and they're uh, and they're now going to be uh, investigated to see if they're d- domestic terrorists. We are in a bad place in this country, and we should. Uh, and it's just not uh, an issue of right and left. Actually, I think the left should be really concerned about what's happening in this country with the politicized uh, FBI, the politicized uh, CIA, and the uh, politicized um, NSA. I mean, we're in a bad uh, situation, and we're not heading in a, in a good direction. So in all of my books, uh, from Phyllis Schlafly on, I've talked about that we need to be activated, active on the grassroots level. It is. Um, it's interesting. By the way, uh, Don, I was looking up, and in a couple of, I mean, a month or so, you're going to have an event. I think it's, uh, yeah, it's in a month or so in November uh, at at uh, the uh, Political History and Leadership Program at AS, ASU with Ken Starr and Don Critchlow talking about this. It's uh, let's uh, a great pairing, and it'll be interesting. Uh, Don, I got to run though. Let me just say it again. The book is Revolutionary Monsters with Don Critchlow. It's Regnery History, and uh, I do think you've achieved what you set out. It reads well. It reads. Uh, quickly, I gave it to my 17-year-old daughter who's a uh, senior in high school. I can't say she's read it yet, but I said you ought to look at this, and she <laughs> said she would. It, it seems to me it, it, it pops along well, and I appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk about it with us, Don. Hey, thank you very much, and you take care, Ed. Bye-bye. Okay. All right, Don. Don Critchell, everybody. I'll put it up on social media. Revolutionary Monsters, Five Men Who Turned Liberation into Tyranny. Donald T. Critchell, Arizona State University professor. And uh, the book is Regnery History. We'll take a break, everybody. And we've got a lot more when we come back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And our old friend John Binder, who's over at Breitbart.com, is with us because he wrote a piece that I flagged and I said to uh, Joanna on our team, I got to talk to him about this because it's just a classic 
argument that comes back up right about now, and we'll talk about why, what I mean by that, about immigration. And, I, and, and John, and so John, welcome back to the program. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's great to have you. And, and um, you're watching this argument. So it, it, a couple of days ago, the Domino's CEO, he decides to come out. He says, you know, we really the U.S. really needs more immigration to drive up the population. And um, and here he is. His name is Rich Allison. I didn't know that. I knew Monahan was the guy that founded the company. I, I knew he'd sold it. But um, so he's going on. But it, it, it seems to me, John, it's always around this time where there's a chance that the Republicans could get back in power at this point. I don't know if it's a good chance or bad, but there it is. And it starts to prime the public that, oh, yeah, yeah, we just got to have more immigration. Maybe so don't don't look at the refugees don't, from Afghanistan unvetted. Don't look at the million people pouring across the border. Let's talk about how we need more immigration as a broad observation. John, is is that what we're seeing? Why, why is it now that he's decided to say this? Well, I think that there's so much corporate lobbying going on at the moment. Um in terms of, you know, the Democrats' um, budget reconciliation package. I mean, there are provisions in the reconciliation package that provide a limitless flow of legal immigration to employers and corporations, right. companies, businesses. And that is the goal of the corporate lobby to get provided basically an endless flow of foreign workers. I mean, that's already sort of happening to begin with because what we're seeing at the border are so many of the unskilled foreign workers coming through. And we now know that tens of thousands over the course of just a couple of months are being provided work permits. So that allows them to temporarily work in the United States. Um, and many of them will likely just end up living here illegally for you know a decade and working illegally. Um, off the books and under the table. Um, but the corporations are so invested in driving up the population um, so that they can sort of control the economic model where they have power over, you know, um, those that are applying for jobs. Whereas, you know, what Trump really tried to do was tilt the economic model so that those applying for draw- jobs had more power, more leverage over the employers that they're applying for. Um, So, you know, they're trying to weight the system in their favor as they're always trying to do. Right. Is, uh, is the, is, is it just, is it just, I mean, I always quote this and I should go back and find the book. There was a book called the Walmart effect. And one of the chapters is it was written in the nineties. I think one of the chapters was about how mayors in big cities in the sixties and early seventies didn't have any money. So they kept giving uh, raises in the form of big pension payments. And they got one mayor either on the record or on background or something to say, yeah, I knew if I gave him pension, my, it would be, they'd have to pay that long after I was gone. And of course those big cities all were collapsing. Their pension funds were collapsing a decade later. It it feels like a guy like Domino's is saying, hey, I need more labor because I need it cheap because I need to function now. And I don't give a damn about 10 years from now or 20 years from now. I guess I'm probably being a little too cynical, but that's how it feels. What do you think of that? Well, no, I don't think that you're being cynical at all. I think that they've been pretty trans. I think the corporate lobby has definitely been totally transparent about that. For the, I mean, probably going on three or four decades now that their goal is to keep wages Low. I mean, Zoe Lofgren, the Democrat from California, literally had legislation before the House um, last year that was 
explicitly designed to keep wages on U.S. farms um, low so that they would never grow. I mean, that was very, they were very transparent about that, but that was the goal um, so that employers would not have to pay more. And, you know, the media is so in bed with all of this. Um, there was a piece in the, in the New York Times this week where, I mean, it was just this whole diatribe of complaints from employers saying, you know, we need more immigration to the U.S. We cannot find workers. Um, never is it mentioned the number of Americans that remain jobless, which is, you know, something like 18 million who want full-time work, um, you know, with good wages and competitive benefits, that never goes mentioned. That what about mm-hmm. an employer's responsibility to seek out workers and offer good wages and benefits that entice people back into the workforce? No, of course not. They just want to import more, more people. Uh, we're talking with John Binder and his pieces over at Breitbart.com. Let me talk a little politics, John, about this. I mean, over in France, they've got a, char- a character. A, 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 I think he's a, mostly a media guy. I forget his name, how to pronounce his name, Zamour or something, who's running for president. Basically uh, echoing Trump, I guess, but making the centerpiece immigration, that we've allowed immigration, legal and illegal in France, he's saying, to dramatically change our communities and we can't do it anymore. And lo and behold, 25% of the country is totally with him and another 50% are listening. And so here in in this country, who's leading on the question of immigration? Who's the champion? It's not the governor of Texas. It's not the governor of Florida. I'm not complaining. They're doing other things fine, I guess. I mean, it's not. Who's really leading on this? Because when I see Kevin McCarthy sending a letter to Merrick Garland about school boards, and, you know, it reminds me of the Common Core fight. A lot of people wanted to write letters about Common Core in 2015 and 16. Nothing really ever changed, and they didn't want to talk about immigration. Who's the leader in America on immigration right now? Well, unfortunately, I feel like the leader on immigration um, for years and years was Senator Jeff Sessions. I mean, certainly, I don't think anyone would make the argument that that wasn't the case. Um, right, exactly. Of course, he's not, he's not <clears throat> in the Senate anymore. But I think we're kind of back to that point where it's the Republican base, really, um, without a leader. I mean, it's, it's voters mm-hmm. constantly telling Republicans you know, we want a reduction in immigration. I mean, so many people now are saying they want a moratorium on immigration. Um, Like that's become somewhat of a mainstream um, position by a lot of Republican voters. And yet there is no one willing to take the stance. And I mean, this is sort of how we got Trump to begin with. It was like, these issues are out here. Someone just has to take them. And Trump did that. And that's why he became the nominee and ultimately the president. Um, and so, you know, who who will do that in the future? I'm I'm not sure, but it's it's an open race for anyone that wants it. In the uh, again, John Benders, who we're talking to, Breitbart.com writes over there, great writer and uh, and good guy on these issues, especially in writing this in this case on immigration. But John, um, are we watching the um, the CEOs line up? I mean, you know, Republicans have sort of stepped away from the Chamber of Commerce at least a little bit. Um, you know, some of those uh, some of that relationship that for a long time was, I think, driving the Republicans to the moderate position on immigration. But look, the CEOs and Wall Street and and the social media they're ramping up on this, and frankly. You can have a fight over CRT, and I'm all for it. I'm for the I'm for the fight against the communists who want to destroy our history. But they don't need to win that fight. They need us to fight there. 
while they're flooding the country. And I think that CEOs, the universities, remember, the universities have hundreds of thousands. You guys are reported at Breitbart.com. Hundreds of thousands of Chinese nationals that come to America and go to the schools, universities, take up slots. And when you say we're going to take that away from the schools, the universities, they scream bloody murder because they all pay cash. So the communists are paying cash, Chinese, to come to Harvard and MIT and Wharton or wherever. And we can't get it stopped because why? Because the, the group of people that wants it to continue are the guys that control the billions at the universities and the billions on Wall Street and down the line. And it's lining up again for 2022 and 2024 to take, frankly, they don't have to win anything. They just have to make sure the Republicans win and are milk toast on this issue. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. No, you're right. And I mean, we are so long overdue for, you know, a divorcing between big business and the corporate lobby um, with the Republican establishment. I mean, as, as much progress as um, the Republicans have made over the last few years, which is in large part because of Trump, um, on issues like immigration and especially on issues like trade, um, there's still such a long way to go. I mean, just this week, Senator Bill Cassidy from Louisiana is doing an event with the Chamber of Commerce. You know, um, right. the uh, Republican Study Committee was touting the the merits and wonders of free trade in their budget a few months ago. I mean, there's so much progress to be made where the Republicans are so off base and out of touch with their own voter base, um, and they just have to be pulled back and realize that you need voters to win. You don't need you know, Wall Street and these massive conglomerates. You actually need your mm-hmm. voters. Right. Well, and we'll see if they we'll see if they realize that that's one of my my big fears uh, is that I think actually watch this, John, and I, I'm prone to conspiracy theories. But we're talking with John Bender again of Breitbart.com. I, I, I believe that at this point, the um, the the momentum of political history makes it so it is almost impossible for Republicans to not win the majority, at least in the House. And now the money guys and the elites that care, don't care which party's in power are investing in making sure that whoever those Republicans are that are speaker and the head of the committees understands that, you know, your agenda that's going to win you in 2024 is low taxes and talking about regulations and opportunity zones when the country yeah. is being transformed state by state, county by county. That's a, and at this point, that's where the money's looking. They're saying, huh, we'll just have to convince the kids, convince everybody that Tim Scott is going to have a bipartisan tax cut deal with Kevin McCarthy. And it's going to look like just the greatest thing. And we're going to lose our, we're going to lose our, we'll lose our country, but we're going to lose our shirt in 2024. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it, like if what you're saying becomes true and Republicans sweep in the midterms, what do Republicans do with that political power? Do they give us another round of tax cuts? I mean, you know, which, right. which is great. I mean, there's nothing wrong with low taxes, but okay. I mean, we're talking about, you know, Many of the GOP voter base believes that we're losing the country and all the Republicans can do, you know, tends to be to cut taxes. Um, Or do we finally get a reduction to immigration? I mean, we're taking a million and a half people Mm -hmm. every single year and the overwhelming majority of people believe that we should be taking far less. So, I mean, are we finally going to get mandatory E-Verify? I mean, where are these real issues that affect the quality of life of Americans, you know? Yeah, I don't know, John. We'll keep reading Breitbart.com. John Bender, thank you. I got to run. Uh, thank you for your writing over there. I'll put it all up on social media, and let's have you back on again sooner. I appreciate it. Thank you, John. Thanks, Ed. 
All right, we'll take a break, everybody. We'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Mrs. Schlafly was a courageous and articulate voice for traditional values and common sense for more than 70 years. Now continuing that legacy, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. When Karl Marx wrote his Communist Manifesto, he theorized that the history of all hitherto existing human society is the history of class struggles. Marx believed that the two warring factions in the ongoing conflict were what he called the bourgeoisie and the proletariat. The bourgeoisie were represented by the rich people who owned the land, the factories, the machines, and other implements by which goods were produced. The proletariat represented the workers who were employed by the bourgeoisie. According to Marx, these two groups would battle it out until a proletariat mob staged a revolution to force rich people to give up their wealth and abolish private property. Of course, Marx's thinking is immoral and downright crazy, but is also far too much of an oversimplification of economic realities. The world is made up of more than just the rich and the poor. I'd guess that the vast majority of Americans who listen to this broadcast would not fall into either of these categories. Because America embraces the principles of capitalism, we have a bustling middle class filled with workers, tradesmen, small business owners, and others. Few Americans would qualify as being truly impoverished. Obviously, I'd be the first one to back an idea that would raise the standard of living for the poorest Americans. However, abolishing private property will not make life better for anyone. By calling for the poor to overthrow the rich, Marx establishes this class of poor people as morally superior to the rich. Of course, Marx himself was an atheist, so the idea of him assigning morality to anyone is laughable. God's word establishes what is and is not moral. All this aside, saying that all poor people are more moral than all rich people is categorically wrong. There are plenty of immoral rich people out there, but many rich people are moral and have exceptionally charitable hearts. Likewise, some poor people are moral and some are immoral. At the heart of the class struggle and identity politics is the idea that we should judge individuals based on their wealth, sex, or skin color rather than the content of their character. Conservatives must reject this poisoned ideology and all others that flow from the writings of Karl Marx. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. In 2016, the conservative movement lost one of our strongest leaders, but Mrs. Schlafly's work and her voice continue through this radio program, our work in Washington, and the influence you have in your own community. Be part of that legacy at phyllisschlafly.com. We encourage you to bookmark phyllisschlafly.com and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And let's finish up with a tweet. Uh, Well, a, a tweet that captured something that Joe Biden said. And talk for a second about this. You will recall, and if you go over to ProAmericaReport.com, you can probably find uh, one of the many times that I've said this in the last year or two, and that is this. I do not believe that it will be easy. In fact, I think it may be impossible to be a two-term president of the United States. And why is that? It's because the the level of scrutiny is so um, significant that any normal human being will wither under it. 
I don't think Obama could have withstood the the scrutiny, the social media pressure. It's not just the 24 hour news cycle. Forget about that. It's the it's the 24 hour, seven day a week. It's the 60 seconds of every day news cycle that is included in the social media cycle. I have to clean that up. I know. But you get my point. And in fact, uh, Donald Trump may have been the most likely to get a second term. He probably did, but it most likely to get a second term because he actually knew how to ride that wave and adjust. He wasn't bound by his his uh, loyalty to any one segment of the party or any one sort of thing. He was willing to go when he needed to adjust. Biden, who is experiencing absolutely record numbers in terms of deterioration of public support, it's extraordinary. It's, I think they're now saying it's since, since the last hundred years, there's never been anyone who's seen so dramatic a fall from approval rating down to, you know, uh, numbers in the 30s. And uh, remember, the, his base has to be somewhere around 42% of the whole, the, there's 42% of the country that would never vote Republican. He's now down in the high 30s, 38, 39. And my point here is you can't withstand this level of intense scrutiny, especially if you're an old fashioned politician. I think the next sets of candidates nationally will include more people. And it's happening, by the way, it's happening in France. In the French presidential race, there's a, a commentator, a, a TV commentator. They call him the French Trump, but he's really a guy that's been on TV and, 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 and doing writing and radio for years because you have to be able to function in that different world and you have to actually be able to play that role so profoundly. So I don't know that we'll ever see the same kind of traditional uh, politicians be successful a- as a candidate. And I mean, I, maybe we will because two will run against each other and it's always a choice, right? So if you get two normal politicians, someone's going to win. But I'm not sure you'll ever see a two-term president the same way. If you do, it will become again because they run someone weak against them. But Joe Biden at this point is just stumbling every day, even Saturday Night Live over the weekend was finally, albeit, albeit very, very kid gloves, they used kid gloves, but they were talking about his, you know, dodderingness, his, his loss of, uh, of, of um, how to say, his, his, his loss of his, his competence. I mean, they were brutal. And so you're watching this, and, and I was struck by that when he did a town hall with CNN the other day. It couldn't have been more friendly, right? It couldn't have been friendlier. It's, it's Anderson Cooper. It's a hand-picked CNN crowd. It's going to be people that are just not going to put him on the spot. And in the middle of it, he goes on a riff and the riff becomes, first of all, he stood with his hands in a strange ski pole position for a lot of the thing. It looked, it looked, um, odd. Um, I, I am not a physician. I am not one that knows anything. In fact, I didn't even ask my wife about this, but it seemed like a position you would strike, you would hold if you were trying to, uh, uh, either distract from something else or keep your focus. You know, it's either a trick. Sometimes when you're public speaking a lot, you'll get taught about tricks you can do that keep your uh, body um, uh, sort of still. And I don't know what he was doing. But in the midst of this town hall, he has this quote about freedom. He said, freedom? Freedom? What's freedom? Freedom? Oh, am I the freedom to give the COVID and kill you? Freedom? Pa, freedom? Come on, man. And of course, what was quoted across the country was his quote on freedom. He said, freedom, come on, man. What do you mean freedom? And here's the thing. He was answering in his mind and in, his, in that crowd to the crowd. They knew exactly what he meant. 
They knew exactly what he was saying. He was criticizing the people that aren't vaccinated. He was criticizing the people that aren't kind of going over the top, trying to make it so that, uh, you know, all the all the restrictions and all, you know, follow the science and all. He, he, he was doing something. He was riffing in a direction. But what was left after he was riffing to his crowd, to the people there and to the CNN viewers was something that most of the country looked up and went, what are you talking about? Like, what do you, how can you say that? How, how can you, and forget about what you think about freedom for a moment, because you could have, there's lots of, um, there's lots of distractions and distortions of the word freedom now. And there's a lot of the left trying to limit what is true freedom. But put that aside even for now and just say, the American people, we like that word. We associate the freedom, that freedom with sort of who we are. I mean, you go to Boston, there's the Freedom Trail. You, you know, you go to their freedom centers. You talk about uh, the land of the free. It's kind of in our DNA. And even if you get, even if you dispute how far it should go or shouldn't go, I don't know, come on, man, freedom out of your president, President Biden. It, it doesn't sit right. It doesn't sit right. And that's, he's doing that all the time. He, he's doing that all the time. He, he's, he's saying things in this modern, uh, fast-paced, social media-dominated culture, and it's just deteriorating every single day. His, uh, his ability to do his job, because if nobody believes you're confident and competent, excuse me, if nobody believes, if no one is confident that you're competent, it's going to get harder and harder to do your job. That's just the reality. That's what we're facing. All right, I just want to go on. I'll put up on social media, uh, and uh, it's uh, pretty pretty damning for Joe Biden. All right, as always, let me say thank you to our great producer, Noah Dingley. We haven't done a Noah Says segment. We'll get one this week. Uh, I don't want to talk baseball with him because my Cardinals got knocked out. His Cardinals got knocked out. San Diego got washed out. It's hard to figure out how to root for the Braves or the Astros, so I don't want to put him on the spot. He'll give another day or two to heal. And uh, thank you, as always, to Joanna for booking our guests. If you go to ProAmericaReport.com, send an email through that right there. You'll get it to me and Joanna. If you have any suggestions or ideas. Otherwise, sign up for the daily email, the wink, what you need to know. And we will talk tomorrow. It's Ed Martin here in the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.